Look at the end of chapter 13 if you have your Bibles. Chapter 13, verse 50. The Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. Paul and Barnabas shake off the dust from their shoes. It's a a Jewish sign of of like, we're done with you. It's It's almost a curse. They shake off the dust from their shoes and they move on to the next city. They move to Iconium. And as we get into chapter 14, it's important to note the context of what's happening here. Chapter 14, all of these cities take place in the region of Galatia. What what do we know about Galatia? There's a book written, right? A letter that Paul writes to the churches of Galatia. Chapter 14 is important because if you're going to understand the epistle to the Galatians, it's good to know where that's coming from. And so Paul is going, he's, he's planting these churches in the region of Galatia that he's going to later write them an epistle that you have in your Bible that we spent a while going through. This is the context for that epistle, that letter. So as they're going through the cities in Galatia, they're planting churches. Paul's preaching the gospel. Paul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel People are coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus. They're surrendering their life to the lordship and leadership of Jesus. Churches are being planted from city to city. And there's fruit. I want to read just, we're going to go through this whole chapter piece by piece here. But just looking at verse 1, which Matt didn't read. um, We're just going to read this first section here. Now in Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number, both Jew and Greek, believed. Just stop there for a second. So they're doing their normal, this is their normal practice. They enter a city, they wait until the Sabbath comes. Saturday morning, they do what all the rest of the Jews from the diaspora do. They go and they find the synagogue. They find the synagogue, and they they enter into a place where the people have a history with the Scripture and the God of Israel, and they begin to teach Jesus in that context. I love this verse, though, just just verse 1 here, because they spoke in such a way that a great number, both Jews and Greeks, believed. What if that was said of the way that we talked? That we spoke in such a way that a great number of people who heard you talk believed in the Messiah. Okay, verse 2. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Same thing that just happened in chapter 13. Same thing we just looked at. There's opposition developing, and they poison the minds, stirred up the Gentiles, and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 3, and this is, this is amazing. So what did they do? 
Verse 3, so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. There's opposition developing. There's, there's people coming against them, their minds being poisoned against the gospel, and instead of just being done with it, they remain. They stay until the Lord moves them on. They remained for a long time, speaking boldly of the Lord, for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders being done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. This whole chapter is this incredible story of them going uh, and the gospel at work. The gospel is, is working and moving. And from town to town and province to province, as, this, as Paul and Barnabas are moving, churches are being planted, miracles are happening, people are surrendering to Jesus. Lives are being transformed. And at the same time, persecution is developing, and there's this opposition, this growing opposition to the proclamation of the gospel. So they're going around, they're preaching, they're planting churches. And then at the end of the chapter, we read that they go back to these churches that they planted. They establish elders, and they encourage them to continue in the name. They return to their sending church in Antioch. This concludes the whole story. They tell the stories of all the things that God had done in their midst, in their journeys. They, they come back like a missionary from the mission field and tell the good news. In this situation, though, I have to imagine, I was reading this passage this week, and I was thinking, so Paul and Barnabas go on this whole journey, they go through all of these cities. They preach the gospel. They return to Antioch like missionaries coming off the mission field. And they share the testimony of what God had done. God, what God has done. And I have to imagine the church in Antioch being like, but Paul, what happened to your face? What happened to you? You look like You've been beaten and destroyed. Your body is, what happened? And Paul, I, I mean, this is just the way I imagine Paul. Paul being like, oh, I was stoned. You know, they thought I was dead, but I wasn't. So I got up and I continued to preach. This is a pretty dramatic story. Paul's forever marked by what happens in this chapter. He's forever literally marked in his body with the scars and the affliction of what took place in this chapter. We're going to take a look at this chapter and the, the sequence of events of what takes place here, but let's do it with Colossians uh, in mind. Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes this, Colossians 1.24 
This is Paul talking to a different church, but he says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden from the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, I rejoice in the sufferings. He's rejoicing in the reality that he was stoned and beaten and rejected for the sake of the gospel, because the hope of glory, because the riches of the glory of the knowledge of Jesus is far surpassing anything that he personally had to deal with in the result. This week I read a, an old British preacher named John Henry, he said, I once saw the track of a bleeding hare running across the snow. This indeed was Paul's track across Europe. Bleeding from place to place. You can see the marks of the gospel spreading in his life through his bloodshed. Paul's journey, as he arrives back at Antioch, looking nothing like he did when he left, looking completely marked, changed. And he says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Or in the epistle to the Galatians, the very end of the letter he writes to the churches he plants in this chapter, he says this, Galatians six seventeen. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Paul says, look, I have the scars to show the message that I brought. I have the literal scars to show how intensely I brought this message. In, in midst of opposition, I've endured fierce, lethal stonings for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. He says, let no one disrupt me. Let, like, let no one question whether or not I was here for the gospel of Jesus, for its proclamation. He bears in his body the marks of Jesus, the marks of suffering. So as we look through this chapter and we trace what Paul's doing, it, it's kind of with that in mind, the way Paul reflects on this story. So first we see them in Iconium, and he does what he always does. He goes to the synagogue, like I said a few minutes ago. This is their pattern. This is their normal way of doing things. They go to the synagogue. They, uh, they wait until the Sabbath, and they present the gospel in the synagogue. What's fascinating to me is that in each synagogue that we hear the story of Paul's travels, every time... The reaction is always intense and immediate. 
And it's always polarized. There's always a polarized reaction. You either have people who believe and want more, and they're coming back. They're, Paul, come back and teach us more. Come back, teach us more. They want to grow in the knowledge of the gospel, or you have others who, for one reason or another, are envious of Paul or envious of the gospel and jealous of this proclamation from Paul and, Gar and Barnabas. It's no different here in Iconium. This is the same response. But a great number, Luke says here, a great number both of Jews and Greeks believed. They remained there in the midst of growing tension. They remained there for some time, speaking boldly of the Lord, bearing witness to the word of grace. Signs and wonders are happening. The people are divided, Luke says. There's a growing opposition. What did they do? They stayed. They continued the work of the Lord. They continued preaching. And signs and wonders continue to happen. Then, there's this plot to kill them, this plot to stone them to death. They hear of it, and they escape to the next city over, to Lystra. Verse 6, they learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and to Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. They continued to preach the gospel. I love this. I feel like it's, it's almost like Luke's elevating the drama throughout every one of these cities. Like it's getting more and more intense as they go. In chapter 13, they were driven out with persecution. And now they hear of a plot to kill them. And they leave the city and they, they go uh, to the next city over. And so they come to Lystra, verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man who was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looked intently at him. He, he saw him looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. So Paul's preaching... And he sees a crippled man. He sees this guy who had been, has not been able to walk since birth. And Paul somehow, I'm not sure how this works, somehow has a sense, the Holy Spirit speaks to him, that this man has faith to be healed. This is a very similar pattern that we saw work through Jesus and earlier through Peter. I think that's an intentional thing that's happening is Jesus did it and Peter did it and now we see Paul do it. He sees him. He sees the need. He looks intently at him. Simply says, get up and walk. And the man gets up and walks. He springs up, Luke says, and walked. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, 
they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconia. And so in their own language, Paul and Barnabas are probably speaking, uh, probably speaking Greek, Kone Greek. But in their own language, a language that Paul and Barnabas don't understand, they say, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, for he was the chief speaker. Paul talked a lot. Makes sense. He wrote a lot, too. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garland to the gates, and they wanted to sacrifice to them. What's happening here? Roman legend, at least scholars most, mostly agree on this, Roman legend had it in this region that Hermes and Zeus, Zeus and Hermes, had come down and taken the form of humans hundreds of years ago. And they had come down and traveled through the region as, as those on a pilgrimage, those on uh, uh, traveling. And no one had received them except for this old couple in a sort of dilapidated old house. And not being received by anybody, this is the legend, the Roman legend here, that, that because nobody had received them except for this old couple, Zeus sends this flood that destroys the whole region. And the only household that survives was that couple that received them. With that in mind, the people here are not going to let that happen again. So they see this miracle being performed. This guy that they all knew was crippled and could not walk and couldn't walk since birth. They see this miraculous healing take place and they think, oh yeah, this could be like the gods coming down looking like men. They could be trying to trick us. We better receive them right this time. So they erupt in religious fervor. They begin shouting in their own language, and Paul and Barnabas have no clue what's happening until they see the elements of a sacrifice being brought to them, the oxen and the garland and the, the things, the priests being brought out to them. They realize what's happening, and what do they do? What do they do? Verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their garments, rushing out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. That you should turn from these vain things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave them, leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and with gladness. 
Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. They said, our God, Yahweh, the one true living God, he's good, he's glorious, he's eternal and almighty. And every human, Paul's saying, can, can figure that out, can, can see that from what, they, what is happening around them. Look how different Paul's message is here from what it was in the synagogues. In the synagogues, there was a, a pre-existing knowledge of the Scripture that he had to work with. They had already some element of a revelation of the, of the Scripture and of who the God of Israel was. But here, Paul brings the gospel in a different fashion. He brings the gospel in a little bit of a different package. The core of the message is always the same. The essence is the same, but the method and the application of the gospel, of the good news, by nature requires translation. We have a gospel that requires translation into our culture, or any culture. The substance of the message that Paul preached never changed. But the approach and the method that he took varied. You see that very clearly here. John Stott, in his commentary, says this. We need to learn from Paul's flexibility. We have no liberty to edit the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. Nor is there ever any need to do so. But we have to begin where people are. To find a point of contact with them. With secularized people today, this might be what constitutes authentic humanness. Or the universal quest for transcendence. Or the hunger for love and community. The search for freedom or the longing for personal significance. Wherever we begin, however, we shall end with Jesus Christ. Who is himself the good news. And who alone can fulfill all human aspirations. So they see this miracle. And they want to celebrate and worship these guys. They want to sacrifice to them. This is what I find interesting. Verse 11. They, this is what they say. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of man. The gods have come down to us. In the likeness of man. Like any good heresy or false teaching, there's a there's a, a bit of truth in this. Paul tears his garments. It's the universal Jewish sign for heresy. Begins to rip his clothes. And he tries to restrain the crowd, barely being able to. Paul and Barnabas, they say, there's, there's good news. Here's the gospel. It's so much better than what you think it is. It's so, so much bigger than what you think it is. Paul says, friends in Lystra, people, listen, here's the good news. The gospel is better. So much better. The gospel is not that some demigod came down and performed some petty miracle. 
The gospel is not limited to some petty miracle. It is far greater than that. That's not the good news. That might be exciting. It might be even thrilling. But that's not gospel. The good news is better. God has done way, infinitely more than that. God has come down to us. Not in the likeness of a man, but as a man. He has come to us in our form. He's taken on our nature in the person Jesus. Not to trick or manipulate you. Not to test you like those legends of the Roman gods. But to save you. Paul says, we are also men. We are just like you. And the great news of the gospel is that you and I, we all, even though we've gone our own way, even though we've, we've served our own purposes and our own needs, even though we've betrayed the very creator, the God of creation, we've, we've walked in rebellion, even in, with all of that in mind, The gospel cannot be limited to some simple miracle or some demigod that comes to perform a trick. He came as Jesus, God incarnate, God who took on flesh and took on our sins upon himself and died on the cross, who went to the cross for all of us who would believe in him. And trust in him and submit to his lordship. Can you see the difference between the gospel that they were believing, the good news of this possible demigod performing a miracle, and the reality of the truth of the gospel? I have to also think it's compelling to me, it's, it's challenging. They restrain them. They didn't go with the popular crowd. They didn't ride the momentum of this religious fervor and like, mm, yeah, I mean, it's wrong that they want to sacrifice to us, but maybe this is going to open some more doors for the gospel. We could just hang out here. That's not how they went. They tore their clothes and compelled them to stop. There was no hint of compromise here. No, no like, we'll see. We'll see where this plays out. This could be good for us. The gospel message is always one of radical truth and radical grace. Of clear, poignant truth. There's no room for compromise. There's no room for halfway here. So they would not go the way of compromise. Radical truth. They say, stop this. Do not sacrifice to us. And what happened? Verse 16, or 18 here. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, 
They're following them. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. How quickly the tides shift. (laughs) One moment, they're wanting to praise him as a god. And in the next, they're hurling stones at him, killing him in the streets. The crowds and the the tides of popularity are fickle. The same crowd that was ready to sacrifice to him now is trying to kill him. They're hurling rocks until he collapses as though dead in the street. Most commentators will say that it's quite possible that Paul was either like on the verge of death or actually dead and had to be raised from, raised from death here. They drag him out of the city, into the wilderness, outside of the city, and they leave him there for death. They assume he's dead, and they leave him outside of the city. Their problem is over. Paul's gone. That troublemaker later on in Acts, those that are turning the world upside down, that guy is gone. We took care of him. The disciples come and they gather around Paul as he's laying outside the city. We don't exactly know where they were this whole time. Luke doesn't say where the rest of these disciples were, where Barnabas was. Maybe they were hiding, probably. But wherever they were, they come out of hiding. They find Paul laying down dead outside the city, or as dead. And they surround him. They're mourning. They're praying. They're, they're, they're in turmoil. Paul, what just happened? In a moment, they went from wanting to sacrifice to you to killing you. Luke says that suddenly he comes too. This has to be a miracle. This has to be a miracle. I, a couple months ago, I fell on my mountain bike and, you know, I scraped up my arm and bumps and bruises. I, I was in pain. I don't know, like, he, he was stoned to death. They thought he was dead, dragged out the city. And Luke says he comes too. Suddenly he comes too. Verse 20, the disciples gathered around him. He rose up and entered the city. Immediately he goes back into the same city. Just think about that for a minute. He goes back into the same city, and the next day he went with Barnabas to Derby. This is startling. I don't know about you. I, I really can only speak for myself, my experience with, you know, being hurt. If I was going around and preaching and, and presenting the gospel and sharing the good news and nearly died because I was stoned to death— dragged outside of the city, and then by some miracle I come to, I don't know that I would want to go back into that same city. Am I alone there? But that's what he does. He goes back into the city. He's revived. He goes back into the city. And the very next day, he walks dozens of miles 
to another city and continues to preach and to make disciples. The very next day, he, he continues his journey. He walks dozens of miles. He, he will then retrace his steps back through these cities again. Verse 21. When they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and then to Antioch. He retraces his steps. He goes back to those same cities where he was threatened and stoned and kicked out again to strengthen the disciples. There was work to be done. There was a mission before him. And here's the thing I've been thinking about as I've been studying this passage this week. This is not the most, like, uplifting passage but the, the thing I've been thinking about is, are we pursuing comfort? Are we pursuing a life of luxury and ease? Are we missing missional opportunities, like opportunities for the gospel, for the sake and at the altar of our own comfort and our own ease? in our own convenience? If we're pursuing our own ease and comfort and convenience at the sake of the gospel, the, at the sake of opportunities that the Lord would put in front of us, I think we're completely missing the point of our discipleship. We're not doing what Jesus said to do, that if we would put the kingdom, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you, Jesus says. Everything else will be taken care of. That he is faithful and trustworthy and good, and he knows what you need more than you do. And if you would seek first the kingdom, all of that stuff will get worked out. And so Paul goes back. He retraces his steps through the places where he was threatened and beaten and stoned and where he almost died. He goes back through the town of Galatia, verse 22. This is why. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I want you to think, like, do you know anybody who lives like that? Do we have people in our lives that live like that? This is an uncomfortable passage for us in comfortable what did Britain call it earlier? The land of comfort? <laughs> we live pretty comfortably. Like I said, I, you know, I fell off my mountain bike, which is already a luxury. <laughs> and I'm complaining about it. If Paul showed up here tonight, if he walked in this room, 
And he began to preach this sermon, and he said that, guys, listen, it's through many tribulations that you must enter the kingdom. This is how you get into the kingdom of Jesus. It's through tribulation. If that was the message Paul came here tonight and preached, I think we might, we might have a little bit of a hard time with that. What would that feel like? How would we respond to that? If we, if we took that message and we began to evaluate, not your salvation, this is not, we're not questioning your salvation. You don't come into salvation through this. But as a, as a disciple of Jesus, this is how you practice the way of Jesus. Jesus took the way of the cross. He said, if you, if you wouldn't take up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. If we took that message and we begin to evaluate our life as a disciple, we begin to take a hard look at the way we make our decisions, how we treat the mission of God in front of us, how we react to those around us. Many of us would not know what to do with this. I'm sure some of you are probably saying, but Paul's an apostle. He had like this very specific mission. He was a missionary. That's not me. But this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of discipleship. This is the word of God. Some of you might say, hey, I, I've had tribulations. I've had, I've had some headaches lately. You know, I've fallen off my mountain bike. Wednesday, I got stung by a bee in my hand family meeting, my hand was like a, I don't know if you guys saw it, I was like, my hand was like a glove, it was huge. Bee allergies. My back's been hurting a little bit lately. Like, I, I don't think that's it. Or maybe some of you like, yeah, you know what, the politics around here are really bad. It's uncomfortable. I don't feel safe. That one's a little quiet. But what if we looked at our life like this? What if we looked at our life, the life of this church, and we sought to, like, raise our missional engagement, to raise our gospel message to the point, a proclamation in the city of Santa Rosa and Sonoma County, to the point to where... Opposition was developing. <laughs> Where Paul could come to us and say, through many tribulations you must enter the kingdom of God, and we could respond, yep, amen, I've experienced that. I know what you're talking about, Paul. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. So I don't think any of us can say that. Maybe. Maybe. If we're honest, we don't live this way. I don't live this way. We have a pretty coddled Christianity. We live a pretty safe life, pretty safe Christianity. We pursue comfort. And we pursue being welcomed over potential conflict in the gospel. We would rather be welcomed into the world 
And the reality is that often we compromise rather than present a clear truth of the gospel. But the gospel is always a mix of radical grace, where, yeah, you can, you can engage in grace and be life to people. You can, you can be amongst the people of the world. Radical grace, scandalous grace, and radical truth, where you cut the garbage, speak the truth in love. It has to be both. The gospel always has both of those realities. Scandalous grace and radical truth. Spurgeon said this, this quote, The devil is done with raging and roaring against the church. Now he is coddling it. He's embracing it and making it feel welcome in his systems. His philosophies, the, the elementary principles of the world, as Paul would say later. The empty philosophies of the world have lulled the church to sleep. We sit passively on the sidelines. And the story rounds out from here for Paul and Barnabas. What did they do is they retraced their steps. They strengthened the souls of the disciples. They go and they encourage. They place courage inside them. They strengthen them. They build them up. They encourage them to continue in the faith. And they say that through many tribulations, they must enter the kingdom. They appoint elders. They create church structures of accountability and, and of leadership and guidance. With prayer and fasting, they model this. They commit them to the Lord in whom they have believed. Jumping down to verse 26, they sailed to Antioch. They go home to the, the church that sent them. And when they arrived and gathered at the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They told the good news of what God had done. Verse 28, they remained no little time. That means he remained for a long time with the disciples there in Antioch. He stays in Antioch. Is it possible, perhaps, that at this point in the story, as he's hearing reports of what's happening in Antioch, that he pens the, the words, O oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And he reminds them again of the gospel that he had preached and been stoned for. Paul preached a gospel of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone. And he reiterates that over and over and over again through the epistle that he writes to them to encourage them and strengthen them. He says that they're believing another gospel. They're, they're going another way. My question, as I was thinking about this earlier, is, is really is the question, are we, like the Galatians, believing another gospel? 
Are we finding our way through a gospel of luxury and comfort and ease, of convenience, status quo, things are good how they are? Is he not worth everything? Is the message of the gospel not worth everything? Is it worth being inconvenienced? Is it worth being outnumbered? Is it worth being mistreated or misrepresented? I think it is. Let's pray tonight. Jesus, I thank you for these stories that we have in this book, the book of Acts, these missionary journeys, these stories of the gospel spreading and yet of opposition growing. And God, I thank you for the reality of these stories that that we can come before you, that we can present a faithful gospel that we can seek you first, knowing full well that you are a good father, a good shepherd that loves us and cares for us, and you know what we need before we even ask. God, help break us from a complacency and a lifestyle of ease and convenience. God, that we would, as disciples, reorient our lives around the message, the good news of Jesus, that we would be eager to be disrupted and challenged. God, help us to live faithfully in the context of a world that's in opposition to us. Help us to find the boldness of Paul and Barnabas to even when mistreated, to go back into the city, to retrace those steps, to be faithful to the mission that you have in front of us, to be faithful to the work of the gospel. Jesus, we love you and we bless you.